All right, well, um, this series was supposed to be over last Lord's Day. I in, it intended to only do three sermons in the series and then return to First Thessalonians uh, this morning and preach uh, verses 1 through 12, which would have been a good ser- uh, sermon for the end of the year, for the most part. Um, but then uh, I decided to add one more uh, sermon to this series, and as it worked out, that was very good because I uh, wrote the sermon on 1 Thessalonians 2, and there was no way you wanted me to preach from verses 1 through 12 because I was at 14 pages at verse 6, and 14 pages is the general length of a sermon. So um, it turned out quite well. So today we're going to do one more sermon in this series on Christmas carols. Well, sort of. Um, the, the carol, the hymn I'm going to talk about today, is not really uh, a Christmas carol uh, as much as it's a song or at least a tune that is associated with the end of the year and the beginning of a new year. And that's even not entirely accurate because it's the song that this song is associated with that is associated with the end of a new year and the, or the end of one year and the beginning of a new year. Uh, so just bear with me, I'll, I'll get to how this works. Um, that said, this, this rewrite of this song, um, the lyrics are pretty much taken directly from Scripture. It's almost uh, word for word for the most part. And when, they, when they're put together, I think the lyrics of this song, um, which again are Scripture uh, for the most part, provide for us an excellent summary of what we should be thinking about as we enter into a new year. Right? It's not every year that uh, the Lord's Day falls on the last day of the year. And so I really wanted to take this uh, opportunity to talk about uh, the theme that is found in this, in this hymn. Uh, and, and that theme is uh, consecration. Consecration, which is an excellent theme to be thinking about as we enter into New Year. So we started with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We thought about the incarnation, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we looked at Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we talked about reconciliation, that God took on flesh to reconcile us to himself, to make peace between us and himself. And then last week we sang Joy to the World, and we were reminded that because of both the first and second coming of Jesus, we should be a people of celebration. So you got... You got incarnation and reconciliation and celebration. And now, as we are soon to be in a new year, uh, we will consider the hymn, All Glory Be to Christ, which is all about consecration. Uh, And I hope that this will, in fact, be our motto uh, here at Gospel Light in 2024 and all the years that he uh, gives us together. Uh, So we're going to talk about consecration today. This is the act of something setting something apart and uh, and in particular setting something apart for god uh, and for the worship and service of god so the message we will hear as we look to 2024 is a message i hope will help us look to this year correctly namely through the through the lens that all that happens in our lives and in this world uh, is for the glory of christ Now, uh, before we get to All Glory Be to Christ, uh, we need to begin by briefly considering the original song that it was a rewrite of, namely the song Old Lang Syne. The author of this song is not 100% confirmed, but most attribute it to the famous Scotsman poet Robert Burns, uh, who lived from 1759 to 1796. Uh, According to Encyclopedia Britannica, the title 
translated literally into standard Old English is old, long, since. The words can be interpreted as since long ago or for old times' sake. The lyrics are about old friends having a drink and recalling adventures they had long ago. Now, have you ever wondered how uh, the song Old Lang Syne became associated with a new year? Um, Because uh, the the lyrics don't require it to be. Um, It was, in fact, incorporated into the New Year's celebration of the Scots sometime in the 19th century. Uh, But you'll need to fast forward to a little over a century after Burns' death, when, again, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, the Canadian-born band leader Guy Lombardo helped make Old Lang Syne a New Year's Eve tradition in North America. His band, the Royal Canadians, what a great name for a band from Canada, played the song at the turn of the New Year in a series of popular radio and later television broadcasts that began on December 31st, 1929 and continued for more than 30 years. Now, fast forward to a little under a century to 2012 when Dustin Kensrew, uh, who at that time was one of the music leaders of the now defunct Mars Hill Church in Seattle, decided to turn this song about reminiscing with old friends over a drink into a uh, song about living for the glory of Christ. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you've noticed this before, uh, but while it is essentially all new lyrics Uh, almost, there is one line in which he gives a hat tip to the original song when he says, writes, we'll take a cup of kindness yet. Now, Kensrew's cup of kindness is not the kindness given from another friend or family member, as in the original Old Lang Syne. It's, in fact, to be understood as the cup of kindness that we receive from God through Christ. Besides that, all the lyrics are changed. And each of the three verses are mostly a, a combination of two scriptures. So the first and second verses are, 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 are really just a combination of two scriptures. Uh, the last verse uh, references a, a number of scriptures. Uh, all that said, uh, this song, I think, takes uh, a bunch of scriptures and puts them together and provides for us a, a blueprint for living for the glory of Christ. So as we think about living a life uh, uh, for Christ, consecrated a consecrated life, we will think about planning for a new year and praying for a new year and the presence of God and a new year. So we'll talk about planning for a new year, which I know many of you are doing. Maybe you've already done. I mean, it is the 31st, so I mean, you don't have that much more time. I mean, 13 hours, I think, or so. So, uh, you know, maybe you already have. Um, but we'll talk about planning, we'll talk about praying, and we'll talk about the presence of God and a new year. So let's get into it as we seek to determine how to live in 2024 so that the message of our lives and the message of this church will be all glory be to Christ. So uh, if you would turn with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is the first scripture in the song. Uh, the second scripture is James 4. So if you want to put your finger in James 4, that's where we're going to go next. Uh, these are two scriptures which should address how we should think about the new year, uh, how we should plan, how we should prepare for the new year. And these two scriptures warn us about two ways uh, that we might be in danger of living in the new year. So the first thing we are warned about in this song is living a, a wasted life. A life in which, uh, as the song says, nothing of our efforts stand and no legacy survives. 
This is the kind of life where at the end of the year, when you reflect on the last 365 days under the sun, you find that nothing was accomplished. You find that no success was experienced. You discover that you have nothing to show for your labors. Solomon, when he writes Psalm 127, defines this kind of life in a few different ways, one which the song uses. In Psalm 127, we read, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Right? That's, that's the illustration that is in the song. But the psalmist goes on, Solomon goes on to say, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So Solomon here is using several things uh, which sum up life in his day. Building a house. Providing security for a city, farming, and raising children. These are all things that d- describe uh, life. And so, you know, you not, might not be building a house or providing security, but, you know, you have a job, you raise children, uh, you know, whatever it is you do in life. Uh, what Solomon is saying here is whatever has been your lot in life, whatever God has given you to do, whatever are your responsibilities, um, If the Lord is not involved, you've done those things in in vain. They were a waste of time. Uh, He's not saying you shouldn't do these things. Uh, You should do these things. He's saying you shouldn't do these things in a particular way. There is a wrong way to live life and a right way to do life, according to Solomon. He's not suggesting that we have no responsibility to live in a productive manner. See, these are the things that would make you a productive person in in that day. And he's not saying not to do those things. We should fulfill our responsibilities, but we should not do so with no thought to what would honor and glorify God. If you have built a house, if you have uh, secured a city, if you have done your job well, if you have uh, you know, completed your schooling projects properly, if you've done all the things that, that, that have been laid in front of you, if you've fulfilled your responsibilities, if you've led your family, if you've submitted to your husband, if you've obeyed your parents, if you've done all these things, and you've given no thought to what would honor God. It was all for nothing. It was a waste. It was living in vain. Uh, the kind of life that God wants us to live is a kind of life in which we trust in him and look to him for strength. Knowing that any good things in our lives is from him. Knowing that anything we accomplish is not by our own strength, but by his. Knowing that a job well done is a job done for him in labor for the Lord Christ knowing that a home and a family and a city where God is honored is achieved only when God is recognized as sovereign and authoritative overall. Anything else is a waste. It is a life lived in vain. So that's what we need to be careful of in this year to come. We must be careful that we do not live lives in vain. So men, we must love our wives and children and lead them in the word and prayer Otherwise, we live in vain. Women, you must submit to your husbands as you seek to make your home a home which honors God. Otherwise, you labor in vain. Children, you must obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Otherwise, you labor in vain. 
to all of us, no matter what we do, whether it be a job or school, whether we work in the home or outside of the home, whether we are married or single, whether we are get paid to do what we do or we do not, we must work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Otherwise, we labor and thus we live in vain. No matter what we set our hearts to do as individuals, as families, as a church, we must acknowledge God's rule and reign over who we are and all that we do, and we must seek to live for his glory. Otherwise, we will live in vain. Now, there is another warning in the first verse of the song. It's not at all unrelated to the first. They actually go hand in hand. Um, it's just, it's applied uh, not necessarily just to living, but to planning. So James 1.27 was uh, applied to, to living. Uh, in James 4.13 through 17, we basically hear the same message, but this message concerns uh, planning for how we are to live. And of course, as I said, the start of a new year is a time to make plans. And, uh, and James tells us there's a right way to make plans and a wrong way to make plans. So if you sit down with a, a planner, uh, there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. If you sit down with your phone and, and, uh, and, and put all your uh, information in there, there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. And, and James tells us uh, what the wrong way is. James chapter 4 and starting at verse 13 through 17. Uh, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, when Kensru uh, wrote his song, he summed up that passage uh, really well when he wrote, To you who boasts tomorrow gain, tell me what is your life, a mist that vanishes at dawn. You see, the, the problem is not making plans, right? Don't throw out your, your, your day planners. Don't delete your calendar app on your phone. We, we should make plans. But the point is that we must submit those plans to God, knowing that only what he wills will be. And quite honestly, as James tells us, and as Kensru includes in his song, we best remember when we make plans we may not be around to accomplish those plans. That's, that's a hard thing to, to grasp, to reckon with. So you can fill out your day planner. You can make plans for a vacation. You can write your New Year's resolutions. But you must remember that your life is both short and fragile. Short and fragile, and it may be God's plan for you not to be around when the next New Year's Eve comes along. And, you know, you, you might think that's very morbid uh, and depressing to speak of, but James says to live in any other way is to boast. That's what he says in this text, and, and he tells us that all such boasting is evil. So when it comes to making plans for New Year, we must be careful not to make plans in vain so that we will not live our lives in vain. Instead, as we make plans for 24, we must acknowledge God. We must seek to honor God. 
in all that we do so our year will not be wasted. Or uh, to sum it up, as Dustin Kensher did when he wrote the refrain to his song, we must make plans with the desire for Christ to receive all glory and then live in submission to his rule and reign. So when it comes to drafting your weekly schedule for the new year, the question should be, how will what I have planned glorify Christ? When it comes to making financial plans for 2024, again, how will they glorify Christ? Maybe you're planning a career change or a change in where you live or some other major life change. Again, how will that glorify Christ? Whether you're making plans for your own life, whether you're making plans for the life of your family or whether for the life of the church, our prayer must be that these plans will be rubber stamped with five words. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. As we move on in the song, once again, we find two more scripture passages in verse 2. One is from the Lord's Prayer, and one is from Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, in verses 9 through uh, 11, we will look at. We've considered how to make plans for the New Year's. Now we will think about how to pray as we enter a new year. And what better place to go than the opening lines of the instruction of Jesus given first to his disciples, what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but in fact, it would probably better be called the Disciples' Prayer. This is how we are to pray. Regardless of what we call it, this is how it opens, Matthew chapter 6, and starting at verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, uh, the prayer begins with the proper address of God, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, It then speaks of uh, uh, we ought to seek to honor his name, his name be honored as holy. Uh, And then there are uh, two things, two petitions that we are to ask of him, two things which Kensru includes in his song. And I must say, I find it very confusing why Kensru reversed the order. So he, he actually says, uh, your will be done, your kingdom come. I don't really know why he does that, because Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, it's not a huge point, but I have been known to say when I have problems with a song, so I might as well just say I don't quite understand why uh, he does that. Nevertheless, those are the two things he included. He says, his will be done, his kingdom come. Uh, these are two things that, that we should make a practice of praying uh, if we want success in 2024. Now, let's think about what those two things mean. We uh, pray your kingdom come. Now, how does that happen? How does God's kingdom come? Well, I think our, our our first thought would be when we say your kingdom come, we are thinking about the king returning and setting up his kingdom here on earth. The, the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, when he recreates the heaven and the earth, makes the new heaven and earth, when he resurrects all people to judge the wicked and welcome the elect into his presence to rejoice with him for all eternity, right? Th- that is the first thing that we should anticipate. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I think that's the first thing that we are praying when we pray your kingdom come. But there is a second way that God's kingdom comes. And that is when, as Paul puts it, people are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So this uh, prayer for God's kingdom to come 
should encourage us to, towards evangelism because we want people to become members of the kingdom. And as people become members of the kingdom, the kingdom grows. And in one sense, the kingdom uh, is more present here on earth when a person trusts in Christ because they're added to the kingdom and thus God's kingdom grows. So, so, so the first way when we say your kingdom come, we're praying for the return of Christ. The second way, in some respect, we're praying for his kingdom to grow here on earth uh, through the conversion of, uh, of people as they enter into his kingdom. Now, uh, the second petition in Jesus' order anyway uh, is for God's will to be done. Uh, Kensru puts this first, but Jesus puts this second. I, I don't think that there's to be a, necessarily a hierarchy in the prayer, although I, I do think that there are uh, there is an order in, in particular, but I think you see that more and the importance of the order when you look at the entire prayer. All that said, let's get into what it means for God's will to be done, or what are we saying when we pray and ask for God's will to be done? Again, I think this can be understood in two ways. Uh, the first is in regards to God's sovereign will. Uh, his secret will, that which he knows and we do not know, uh, that which he has ordained, uh, for that to happen which he has foreknown. And what a comfort it is to know that if we pray for God's sovereign will to be done, that is a prayer that will always, without fail, be answered. You won't always like how it's answered, but you can rejoice in the fact that it will always be answered. If you want to pray a prayer that you know will be answered, pray your will be done. In some respects, it's a very scary prayer to pray. Um, but it is a prayer that we know will be answered because as the psalmist says, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Likewise, as Paul tells us, God works all things uh, according to the counsel of his will. And that should be very comforting and should be what we should pray for, for God's sovereign will to be done, for what he has ordained to happen in 2024, even if it is worse than 2023. That is what we should want to happen is for God's sovereign will. And uh, it's very good that we don't know what it is, isn't it? Because if we did, we might not pray for it. But there's a second way that we, a second thing that we are saying when we pray that God's will will be done. And it, and it is uh, related to his revealed will. So you've got his sovereign will, which is secret, which we don't know. But you've got his, his revealed will, uh, that which he has given to us, that we might obey it and live according to it. And so when we pray your will be done, in one sense, we're praying that God will empower us and give us the desire to obey his revealed will will we're praying then a prayer for obedience to his word in all things something of course we need the spirit to enable and empower us to do so something that we should pray for we can't obey god in and of our own power in and of our own selves we need the power of god dwelling within us so we should pray for god's will to be done that he might give us the strength to do his revealed will so if we want 2024 to count for the glory of christ we must pray for god's kingdom to come and for god's will to be done and then we must live accordingly. Now, we, we must also uh, pray that God will teach us to be content no matter what he has in store for us in the new year. And I'm not going to say too much about this uh, because Dave is going to be teaching a Bible study at the end of January on contentment, but it is addressed in, in the text, and so I'll, I'll address it just as, uh, as, as uh, accordingly with the scripture that I believe it is a reference to, uh, and, and that is John chapter 4. So flip over a few uh, pages to John chapter 4. And uh, we find in John chapter 4 uh, a metaphor uh, which Kensru includes in his song. 
So in John chapter 4, Jesus' disciples had gone to buy food, and he was resting near a well when a Samaritan woman came along to get water. Now Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, which is uh, surprising to say the least, because Jews don't generally talk to Samaritans and vice versa. But Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, and, he t- and, and uh, to make a long story short, he tells her about some water, which is infinitely better than the water that is in the well that she came to get that day. And this is what he says about it in John chapter 4, 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is a a, a very, uh, how do I put this? The the metaphor is very striking to me. Uh, I don't know about you, but at night I get very thirsty. Every single night. I don't know why, but after dinner I get outrageously thirsty. But, you know, I'm a 50-year-old man. uh, 52, I guess. Uh, And, you know, if you don't want to get up three, four, five, six times in the middle of the night, then it's really not wise to drink uh, too much after dinner. But, man, I am so thirsty. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care. You know, I'll try not to disturb Diana when I get up three, four, five times. I am so thirsty. And I will open the fridge and I will take out a bottle of Coke. Yes, I can drink Coke right before bed. It doesn't keep me awake. I mean, it just wakes me up. It doesn't keep me awake. And I will chug that bottle of Coke and, oh, man. Like, there must be some situation in your life. I mean, maybe you like to exercise. I'm not into that kind of stuff. But if you like to exercise, you know, and you get really thirsty and you take that drink. Or, or suppose you have pizza, right? It's so salty. And, oh, man, you're so thirsty. I mean, does, does, does a Coke taste better with anything than after a, a salty pizza? And that, that, I mean, that, that metaphor just is really striking to me because I, I take that drink and I am just, that's it, I'm set. Like, until like 20 minutes later when I'm thirsty again. And so then I go in and I see some lemonade there and I'm like, oh, I know I shouldn't drink this. It's like 9.30, but I'm like so thirsty. And I, anyway, you see what I'm getting at here, right? You, you can keep drinking all you want and, and you will still be thirsty. But Jesus talks about water that if you drink it, you will never be thirsty again. Like, I don't know. Uh, That just seems uh, very striking of a metaphor. I I don't know if it's where I'm at in life or what. But uh, Jesus says there's water that you can get that if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. You will be perfectly satisfied. And that water, in fact, as we learn in John 7, 37 through 39... Uh, is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit. And if you receive the Holy Spirit, you will never be thirsty again. That is spiritually thirsty. You, you will have your most basic need met. And that most basic need is not water, and it's not even air. It is the need for the Holy Spirit to take up residence in you and give you life everlasting. And if you want this water, you must come to Jesus, and you must trust in him as Savior and Lord. That's what you need. Right? Christ is all that you need. Jesus as our Redeemer, and as a result, his life-giving spirit dwelling within us. That is the only way that you can have a life of contentment. That is the only way that you can have your greatest need met, to have the greatest gift you could ever receive, to be entirely satisfied and need nothing more. 
Only one way to receive it. Only one way to receive this cup of kindness, as Ken Shrew calls it, by coming to Christ, by receiving the greatest demonstration of his kindness and salvation, which only comes from his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. If we have Christ, and if Christ is all we need, which he is, we should be content. But so often we aren't. Contentment is that thing which eludes us. We always want more. We always want another drink. We always want another dollar. We always want more time in a current situation in life. But you know, the good news is that if you want contentment, and who doesn't want contentment? If you want contentment, you can learn. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you don't have that one yet, Dave, you're going to want to write that one down. Paul learns contentment. So if you struggle with discontentment, the good news is that you can be content if you will commit yourself to learning to be content. So as we get ready to enter another year, we must make plans according to God's word, which is to say not in vain, and we must also pray according to God's word, which means we must pray that God will help us see that Christ is all we need, and we must pray that he will give us the strength to be content so long as all glory be to Christ and all that 2024 brings. You see that that verse there that gets so taken out of context needs to be brought back into context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, you've got the football player with that verse reference on his eye blacks. Is that what you call those things that they put under their eyes? Anyway, you know, you've got people, uh, you know, tweeting that when it comes to their their workouts or whatever it is. Uh, If you say you can do all things through him who strengthens me, you're saying you can be content in the midst of difficult times and in the midst of good times. That's what Paul says here. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content to be low or to be exalted. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be content in the worst of times and I can be content in the best of times because he learned such. So we must pray that God will give us contentment and teach us contentment through the circumstances of our lives. Again, another scary thing to pray. Now, this brings us to the last section, the the third verse of the song. So we've talked about planning and the new year and prayer in the new year. Uh, Now we talk about the presence of God and a new year. And as the song concludes, our attention uh, is drawn to the fact that things in this world are not as they one day will be. Uh, In this world, we see sin and corruption. We see the effects of the fall of man everywhere. Things are not quite right. There is hurt. And there is harm, there is suffering, there is sin, there is trials and tribulation. As Paul puts it, everywhere we look in this world, we hear the, the, the whole creation groaning. But as, as the song notes, uh, all will be made right. Uh, and they will be made right in the future when Jesus returns. Now, the book of the Bible, which our attention is drawn to, uh, is Revelation. So, I mean, turn to Revelation. Where? I mean, like everywhere. I don't really know, you know, he, he, what he does is he, 
he references a lot of things from Revelation, from chapter 15, chapter 19, chapter 5, uh, and chapter 21. Uh, in the first half of the third verse, he draws from at least four verses, um, uh, or three verses, sorry, which identify Jesus at his second coming. Uh, and then he talks about one verse which describes what he will do when he returns. So the three ways he's identified are as Yahweh, the great one, which if you, uh, if you look at Revelation 15, 3, and then look at Exodus, I think it's chapter 15 as well, uh, we discover that uh, John is referring to Jesus as the great I am. Uh, he's identifying him as Yahweh. Uh, and then Revelation 19.11, we find the title of Faithful and the True. This is a title that is given to Jesus uh, in what is actually a graphic and violent chapter which describes his coming in judgment. I love Revelation 19. And then uh, he refers to the Lamb who was slain, which is a reference from Revelation 5, verse 12, uh, a reference to Jesus in the song of the myriads of heaven who are praising God for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, as for what he does when he returns, uh, this is something from Revelation 21, verse 5, that he is making all things new. So this points us forward to when God will recreate the heavens and the earth uh, for the resurrected and redeemed of the Lord to enjoy for all eternity. And, and you ask, what makes the new heaven and earth so great? Well, that is what the song ends with, a reminder that what makes heaven so great is the presence of God. So as we read from Revelation, and in particular, uh, chapter 21, verse 3, this might be a good one. If you have Revelation open, look at Revelation 21, uh, verse 3. We read, And I heard a loud voice from throne, the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So, I mean, uh, you know, when you think of the new heavens and the new earth, I think it will be exciting to, uh, to explore the new heavens and the new earth, right? So uh, sometimes people are like, oh, I really hope that I get to this place before I die or the other place. And I'm always like, oh, no, I'll see it when it's better, right? I'll see it when, it when it's recreated. I mean, I'll go to the new France, I don't want to go to the old France. I'll go to the new France, right? And all these things. So, like, I think it's going to be very exciting, especially when you consider that, you know, we'll be in our glorified bodies, right? No more pain, no more struggle, no more lineups at the airport. You know, no more sitting in those really tight cramps. I mean, it, it's going to be amazing. So, like, that's going to be exciting. I, I think we should think about that. Uh, I, I think we should think about the connections between this earth and the new earth. You know, you think about how beautiful that snowscape looked today. And man, outside of my house, oh man, it was amazing, right? But it's going to look better. Sometimes you wonder how that's going to be. But and, and nevertheless, we should be excited about exploring the new heavens and the earth. I mean, we should also be excited to experience life in our glorified bodies, right? What a joy that will be, right? When we're no longer, uh, you know, confined by these bodies, these broken down bodies, and I mean, also, it, it will be a joyful reunion, will it not, uh, when we see our loved ones who have gone before. But there will be nothing, and I mean nothing, which compares with being in the presence of God. And if you want to have some idea of what that will be like, then let's look again to Revelation chapter 21, where we read this about the heavenly city in verse 23. Revelation 21, verse 23 and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, 
for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, uh, just so we're all clear, I do not think that this means that there will be no sun and moon in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't think this means there will be no night and day, that there will be no seasons. I, in fact, think there will be. I will be surprised if there is no sun and moon. Um, Because as you notice, this doesn't say there will be no sun and moon. It says there's no need of sun or, or moon. I can't really conceive of a earth, whether it's an old earth or a new earth, without a sun or moon. That doesn't mean for sure there will be, okay? If you see me in heaven and there's no sun and moon, don't, nah, 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 I don't want to hear that, okay? There, there, there might not be, okay? I just don't think that's what's being said here. I, I think the point that John is making uh, is that to be in the presence of God will be to behold his resplendent glory his magnificent majesty. The, the, the brightness will almost be overwhelming as we gaze upon the glory of God in the person of Christ. I, I, I think that's, that's what's being said here, that, that the glory of the heavens will be that the risen and reigning Christ is there. It was Jesus who glorified God through the incarnation, through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it will be the presence of Jesus at the new creation which will ensure that God is glorified because Jesus is the glory of God revealed. So we've talked about how to plan for a new year and how to pray for a new year. Uh, The last thing we learn concerns the presence of God in a new year. And the message is that while all is not right in this world, while we will struggle in the new year and experience trials of various kinds. Uh, The message is that if we wish to live for the glory of Christ in 2024, we must live in anticipation of the return of Christ, something that we will be reminded of in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We must anticipate the return of Christ when all will be made new and when we will live in the presence of God for all eternity. I mean, we have God present with us here. That's what we've been talking about through the incarnation. We have the Spirit present within us, but oh, what a day when we'll be in the, in the presence of God through the person of Christ. So that brings us to the end of Ken Shrew's rewrite of Old Lang Zion, but I don't really care if you remember the song so much that you remember the scriptures and the theme of those scriptures, which is consecration. You see, what makes this song so good is that Scripture was not the basis for the song. Scripture was not even the foundation of the song. The Scripture was the song. The Scripture is the song. When we sing this song, we sing the Scripture. But I like that Kensu brought all of these different texts together, uh, provided for me an outline for yet one more topical sermon. And, And don't worry, we're back to exposition next week. Uh, But I just love how he brought all these scriptures together to provide us with a blueprint for successful living in 2024. It starts with making plans for the glory of Christ. So we must trust in Christ and submit to him in all things. And then we must pray for the glory of Christ, which is to say we must pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And then if we want our attitude to be for the glory of Christ, we must be content in Christ no matter what 2024 brings And if we want our lives to be for the glory of Christ, we must seek to be faithful in the present while looking to the future when Christ returns. In short, as the refrain reminds us, we must acknowledge Jesus as our king 
and submit to his reign and rule in the new year and in every year to come. That is what it means to live a life consecrated to God. So I trust and pray that the Spirit will apply the truths we've considered now in the year to come. And I pray that our motto for 2024 in our lives, in our homes, and in this church will be, all glory be to Christ. Let's pray.